I kick off into that. Robert's going to come and read the psalm for us. Thank you, Robert. Okay, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, when Paul was asking me to, first thing, would I read Psalm 139, I was thinking, it's not that long one that goes over about six pages, but that's actually Psalm 119, so I think, I think we'll be okay. So Psalm 139 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou come past my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue but, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy head lead me, and thy right... Sorry. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me, in my mother's womb, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as they were none of them. <clears throat> How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee, Surely thou wilt slate the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Thank you, Robert. I'll choose a longer one next time. So well, it was a very good read. I'd asked Robert about five minutes ago. 
if he would do that. So <laughs> thank you for stepping in. <laughs> well prepared as usual. Um, I think we've got a PowerPoint now. Uh, Eric, you should come up. There we go. So, um, Psalm 139 is not the longest, it's not the shortest either, for that matter. It's a, it's a good mid-length, I suppose, it's quite, and it covers quite a lot, but it's a fairly, um, in many ways, a, um, a big message, but a simple message as well. So, I'm going to cover the whole, the whole psalm um, this morning, um, relatively quickly, I suppose. Um, if you want to follow it as we go through, it's the Pew Bible, page 628. Um, so, Psalm 139 was written by King David as we've already heard this morning from Jen. Uh, and it starts, for the chief musician, a psalm of David. Now, some people, as I've read here, believe the chief musician was actually referring to God, um, whereas I think others think it was simply one of the leaders of the musicians or the choirs of the time, such as I think Haman the singer or Asaph. seems likely to me that it was probably the leads of the music, as the psalms as I understand it, were effectively the hymn book for the Jews. So it would make sense that it was certainly those musical leaders. But it doesn't really matter. What matters is that David wrote these words and wanted them put into music so they should be, could be shared. Um, he wanted them to be a public, a public outpouring of, of his belief, but also perhaps other people might take something from his, from his stance. Ah, there we go. It's a bit small, that, isn't it? Hopefully you can read it. So, you've searched me, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, uh, you know it completely. So God knows us for what we are. Uh, Even the small things that seem inconsequential uh, are not missed by God. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 10, 30, uh, God knows the number of hairs on our head. Uh, he put them there effectively, so he certainly knows there. I don't know if he's responsible for the loss of them as well, but uh, we won't go into that. Uh, you know, not only the small things, every thought is known, which perhaps could be worrying, I suppose, sometimes. Uh, but we do tend to put on a face, don't we, and pretend that all is fantastic. I know I do. Um, I think most of us can be guilty of that uh, at times. Uh, whether that's a good old British stiff upper lip, just saying that everything's okay, or social media presence. We hear a lot about that nowadays, don't we? The, the pressure on uh, youngsters particularly to live up to these to ideals, which, which actually are, are, are false. Um, you know, we can, we can pretend everything's wonderful. So how often have we been asked, how are you, uh, to reply fine, when really we're not fine? It's almost, a, it's almost like a handshake, isn't it? It's just almost like a, a, a Pavlov, you know, an automatic reaction. I suppose even worse, how many times have we asked somebody else how are they expecting, and maybe, if we're honest, hoping for the answer fine, um, because it's almost like passing the time of day. Um, God wants the truth. He knows the truth, you know, so there's actually no point in us is praying anything other than the truth because he knows our minds. We've already, we've already said that. He knows everything that we're thinking. Um, but he wants the truth from us. He wants us to be, to be close to him. And to say, to say anything else, or to pray anything else, we're really only fooling ourselves. So, I was away on a work trip a couple of weeks ago, um, and managed to get a little bit of time before flying, before flying home, and I was in New York for a couple of days, um, for a meeting. 
and, and I managed to get a little bit of time, so I thought, well, what do I do with that bit of time? And Jen had been earlier in the year with, with Deb and some, and some friends. I said, well, if you're going to do one thing, get up, go up the Empire State Building. Now, anybody that knows me, I'm not great with heights. Um, to put it mildly, I'm a little bit better now than um, many years ago when Jen and I went up the, the Eiffel Tower, made it up about three flights of stairs before I had to be brought back down in a gibbering mess. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but I did make it up to the top. It was a little bit, uh, it felt a little bit more enclosed. I was okay and a little bit better. So, you know, I thought if I had time to do one thing, that would probably, probably be it. I mean, it was very impressive. It's not the same without having somebody to share it with, I have to say, and maybe there's a, there's another sermon in there somewhere. Um, but up at the, at the top, there are lots of people taking photographs. Um, you can, you can do it in two stages, 86 floors or 102 floors right to the very top. So, uh, and up at the 102 floors is floor to ceiling glass. I'm not going to tell you how that made me feel. Um, but we made, made it up there. And, and, of course, you're taking photographs. I took some photographs to prove I'd actually done it. And there's lots of people taking photographs of themselves, you know, taking selfies and posing. And there was one person there that really particularly stuck out at me. And it was, they were by themselves. Um, and they were taking these photographs, very posed, you know. took ages taking these really... And taking and retaking the same photograph, big smiles, you know, and, uh, uh, and acting. But as soon as the photograph was taken, then the smile went because... You know, they weren't with anybody to share it with. I'm not saying they didn't enjoy themselves, but the photograph didn't tell the picture of, of the actual day out. Um, so there's a kind of... I know that's a, a big thing nowadays, but you know, there's a kind of falseness to it. Um, and God wants the truth from us. God doesn't want the image we portray. He wants the real us. He wants the honest version of us. And I'm supposed to be fair that if, if the person had carried on grinning as they were walking around, people would have looked at them a bit strangely, I, I guess, to be fair. Um, so next, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So it's a slightly strange ending to this first piece I always think. Um, you hem me in always sounds a bit like being trapped. I always think of hemming in as like a traffic jam when you're stuck in the car and you just can't go anywhere. You're not going to leave your car, so you're stuck. Um, it means you can't move. But then the passage is immediately softened by the laying of hands. So you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hands upon me. That changes it from being something which is an inconvenience at best to a secure and safe protective act you know, the affirmation that God wants David to wants to know uh, sorry that God knows David better than anyone ever could um, you know such knowledge is too lofty to attain so it's very much to me a, a don't worry kind of feeling it's a, it's a hug if you like that God is there holding us he's hemming us in he's keeping us safe and then we're going to say where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence Again, slightly strange statement when you read it cold by itself. You know, it's it's like saying there's no hiding even if you wanted to. So at first it sounds as if David, you know, maybe he's trying to evade God. Where can I go from your spirit? That doesn't make any sense, does it, as a Christian? Though it can perhaps reflect a human tendency to run from God, as as we can so often see. Where can I go from your spirit? Very quickly it becomes apparent that what David's actually saying is that um, it's quite different. He speaks of God as if he's a person in this. You are there, your hand will guide. 
But he's actually saying that God is present everywhere simultaneously. Not that God can go anywhere, but that he is everywhere. You know, and I think, you know, we do think of God in sort of a human form. Sometimes, as, you know, he can go wherever he wants. Well, of course, he can, but he actually is everywhere. So wherever you go, God will be there with you. Not the ideal person to play hide and seek with, perhaps. Um, as, as we saw in, uh, in Genesis, with Adam and Eve, you know, after eating from the tree of knowledge, and they went to hide, didn't they? Now, God, in Genesis, actually says, uh, where are you? Well, we, God knows everything, so God knew where they were. So why did he ask? Why didn't he just walk up and sort of say, come on, out of the bush, what do you think you're doing? But he didn't, did he? He said, where are you? And let God answer, Adam answer. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. But God knew the truth. But he wanted Adam and Eve to admit it themselves. He wanted them to, to be truthful and to admit it with their own free will. So there's kind of a bit of a theme running through this uh, from David. Um, I remember as a child sat in, in church with my family wondering how God handled all the prayers coming in. I thought it must just be like white noise. And of course, you know, you can't get your head round it. I remember, I think I had various images in my head. At one point, I thought I'd imagined him in front of a, like an old telephone exchange, you know, plugging, plugging cables in and hands moving like a blur. Um, but I mean, of course, the fact is, in our humanity, we can't understand. It's too big. God's too big to, to understand. You know, we can't, we'll maybe, want, hopefully one day we will understand better. Um, but, you know, it's too big. It can make your head start to hurt to think about things like that too much. You know, many things, I mean, that shouldn't surprise us. Many things in life are too big for our human brains to get hold of. Uh, I, I recently bought a book titled, I've written the title, Quantum Theory Cannot Hurt You. Well, I can tell you it can. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. I got about halfway through. I, w- I was sucked in by the the cover notes, as you so often are. On the back of the on the back of the book, it told me really sort of exciting, easy to understand things. Um, so I learned that the entire human race would fit in the volume of a sugar cube. That's a good one. You can ask more about that later if you want to. And every breath you take contains an atom breathed out by Marilyn Monroe. There you go. So that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Well, you wait till you get into the physics. My mind was well and truly destroyed, I think is probably the best way to put it. But more importantly from that book, the bits I did understand, I learned that creation is, is wonderful and complex, and no matter how much we learn, there's always something else to learn. Um, you know, we, we're just peeling layers of the onion, if you like. And there's still so much that we, that we don't understand. Um, in the same way, we can only understand God to the extent that human brains can handle it. Um, and to the extent that we've been given the Bible and the words in the Bible in a way that we can understand the love of God. It's, it's too big uh, and incredible. But we have to remember as well that God sent his son Jesus to create that human link, to create that personal attachment for, for somebody, something which is far too big for us otherwise to understand, and that, that, which is incredible when you think of it, think about it. Uh, but going back to David... Um, he was so assured of the constant presence of God's hand of love and care that not even death in the grave could separate him from God's love. Uh, Paul would later write similar words in Romans 8. Uh, in fact, God's right hand would hold David no matter what may come, and he promises he'll do the same for us. Um, and we were just talking on the way in, actually, in the car, Jen and I, um, and she was saying that you know we've, we've had some busy times recently. It's been very busy with, with work and, and, and just... Everything. I won't even go into the details. We've been here a long, long time. There's so much going on. It can feel like you're out of control. 
um, and you don't know what's going on and maybe you're taking too much on at times. Um, and, and actually, purely coincidentally, Psalms 139, this part of God's right hand came up and gave Jen the comfort that actually she was doing what God wanted us to do, wanted her to do and holding a hand through it and that he was there. And that, just that psalm coming up, we can't even remember how it came up, whether it was a daily reading or whether it was somebody in church, we, we can't remember. Um, but the fact is, just reading that little piece just gave her that confidence, that feeling that God was with her um, and, and everything you know, will be okay. So, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. We've heard about Jen's knitting. I thought there was a lot of wool hanging off that knitting before. I don't know whether we blame that on Jen's extra few lines or Natalie. We'll blame Natalie because she's not here. Um, so God made us all. Uh, not only did God make us all, he created us in our mother's womb. He did it with great care and compassion um, and great deliberation. You know, he wasn't just um, like me when I'm painting the walls at home, throwing, throwing things and, and hoping it sticks. There's a plan. Um, you know, the human body is a, a wondrous creation. It's a fabulous machine, if you want to call it like that. We still don't understand it in so many ways. It's full of complexity and, and detail. But as Jen said earlier, we're made in the way God intended. We're all different. We're all special in our own kind of way. Uh, and we need to remember that and we're made the way we're made for a reason. Though we may we perhaps don't know it at the time, and maybe we never know it, but the, that purpose is there. So then we're on to how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. So David was amazed and in awe, really, that God had considered his creation and take the time and effort to know him. He used the analogy of grains of sand to show how frequently God thinks of us. Um, so, you know, the, the, the grains of sand. Does anybody know how many grains of sand there are on earth? And we'd like to guess. In the UK, in a handful, how about a handful? Who would like to guess how many grains of sand in a handful? Nobody? No? I mean, I don't even know where you start. It depends how big your hands are, I know. So if somebody's got, I was expecting Robert or somebody to say, well, how big, it depends how big your hands are, Paul, and how big the grains of sand are, and yes, you know, I thought somebody come out with that, which is true. But according to the mighty power of Google, it's a few hundred thousand grains of sand, depending how big the sand is and how big your hands are. So, but he's talking about, you know, all the sand in the world. So the point being in David's mind was that it was a figure that can't be counted, that we don't know, that we can't know, that's constantly changing. So God thought and thinks of us innumerable, countable times, not just when we created or when we pray, when we're in conversation or when we cry for help. He's thinking about us all the time, even if we're not thinking about him. Yeah. So it's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? So... Then we're into, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, or I think bloody men, I think in the King James Version that was read before, which sounds even worse sometimes. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. The tone changes dramatically, doesn't it, for this section? It goes from, you know, mighty God, creation, how wonderful you are, straight to, by the way, anybody who doesn't like you, I don't like them. Yeah? Um, so, I mean, I've summarized it in my notes here as, your enemies are mine. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a real shift from wonder and adoration to a real 
I mean, you, yeah, people who don't like you, I don't like, is, is a very mild, isn't it? It's a visceral hatred of the enemies of God or anybody who even speaks against God. Um, it's not, there's not a tutor of forgiveness in there, is there? You know, there's no uh, sort of live and let live kind of attitude. It's just say, and then says, please God, slay the wicked. So not even send them away and, you know, and don't keep them near me. Now, David means especially those who speak against God, if you read into there, speak of you with evil intent um, and cause them bloodthirsty and with evil intent. So David in this section really establishes hatred, not necessarily of evil people, I would say, actually, but of the, of the sin and the evil that they do. Um, so the door is still very much left over for, for forgiveness and for changing your ways. Um, but obviously in the New Testament when Jesus came, that really gets, gets built on as, you know, if you do turn your back on such evil intent then, uh, or evil thoughts, uh, then, you know, forgiveness is there for the taking. But with David here, at first glance, there's no middle ground. Um, so he's very much saying you can't love God and not hate evildoers. And um, it may not be very fashionable, but there's a truth to that. You know, we, we, you know, as, as Christians, we cannot like people who do wrong things and can't make excuses for it. And then finally, in 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, again, it, it then flips back to a slightly different tack again. So, it, I always think this is quite a, a humble, almost meek prayer at the end of the, the song. Um, so after saying that he hates anyone who hates God, he asks for any faults in himself to be identified and corrected. So it's almost like saying, please tell me, God, I'm not one of them. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I think I've got some things right. But I hope I'm, in the, I'm on the right side of the line, God. Um, but he knows that only God can lead him into the light. And he also knows that only God can see what he should be like and, and the truth. So it's a very sort of humble ending. So to summarise the whole psalm, really, David wrote a loving, reverential psalm to a God who is everywhere, knows everything. Despite knowing all about us, the good and the bad, this glorious God wants to have a relationship with us and spend time with us. He wants to have an intimate, truthful relationship with each and every one of us. Um, and he wants us all to come to him. So let's take that into the week ahead with, with, with us and try to live up to it, at least a little of that trust, truth and care that we've been given, but knowing that through God and through Jesus uh, that we can walk with God day by day. So let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that you, the almighty creator, pursue us before our birth, you had a plan laid out for us, and you'll try to steer us down that path, if only we ask and listen. Lord, we promise to be truthful with our hopes, fears, desires and worries, and Lord, we pray for guidance. We pray for a clear vision of your plans for us, and we pray for bravery and faith when your plan doesn't align with our own ideas for our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So... The next prayer, uh, next prayer, next hymn even, <laughs> Here I Am, Mission Praise 229. Let's stand. <laughs>